Well, uh, good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church. And uh, if you're new with us today, uh, we've been reading through the Bible all of this year uh, using a resource, a book called The Story. And we're in chapter 30 uh, of that series. And uh, we finish up next week uh, with chapter 31. And for those of you that have been following along or reading with us, uh, we hope and pray that you've been blessed through it. But uh, two more weeks, uh, one today, again last week, we'll bring it to an end. And uh, we're going to move on to some other things. Uh, but if you do have your Bible with you today, or if you use something like version on your smartphone and want to follow along with us, uh, I, I would tell you now to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, go about midway through the New Testament, not to 1 Timothy, but 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Today we're looking at the life once again of the Apostle Paul, but specifically uh, in the very last days of his life uh, with this letter that he wrote to a student of his, uh, a young man by the name of Timothy. You know, chances are uh, that when you think about your life, uh, when you think about people around you, people that you've come into contact with, uh, you've got some people that you know or some people that you've known, and when you look at them, uh, when you see what they've accomplished in their life uh, or how they live, you might think or say to yourself, you know what, I want a life like that. Uh, you know, like when I get to the very end, I, I want to point to someone like that and say, you know, I, I lived like that person or, you know, I, I had a marriage like that. I have a marriage like that maybe too. Um, I remember doing that as a kid, uh, but when you're a kid, it's different. And, and if, you know, like, well, most young boys, I mean, when I was a little kid, there were people that I looked up to. There were different heroes around me and most of them had to do with professional sports, uh, whether it be a baseball player, a basketball player or a football player. And so, you know, when I would think of these different heroes in my life, I, I think, you know, I want to feel the baseball like the wizard Ozzie Smith, you know? You know, that was somebody that I looked up to. Or I want to, I, I want to take the ball to the hole and dunk it, you know, like Michael Jordan. Or, you know, I want to be able to grab that football and run for a touchdown, you know, like Walter Payton or something like that. But, uh, you know, those are some of those heroes. Those are some of the people that I looked up to as a kid. But it's interesting that as you get older, how things change and how your perspective changes, and all of a sudden how the heroes that you look up to, well, they really change. And, and now when I think about it, I mean, when I think about the people that have left an impression on my life, I'm much more likely to think about people like these two. Got a picture here. Uh, this is Cecil and Geneva Baldwin, and uh, they are two people uh, that when I look at them, I can't help but think, that's the life I want. Um, that's the kind of marriage you know, that I want to have. You know, taken recently, uh, Cecil and Geneva are 96 and 94 in this picture, and they've been married, now get this, for 73 years. Can you imagine? 73 years. And Jenny and I knew them uh, when we first moved to the First Church of God in St. Joseph, Michigan back in 2000. Cecil and Geneva attended that church uh, he's a retired minister, and when we moved to Michigan, they were in the process of moving into a retirement community, and so we bought their house. And because of this, we had an extra special relationship with Cecil and Geneva. Now, what is it about the two of them that means so much to me and Jenny? Well, on the one hand, they both demonstrated incredible faith in the Lord. Uh, it was so evident in everything they did. I mean, they were great supporters for others and for us and for the church where we attended. 
Uh, they were great people of prayer, too. I mean, there, there, were, there were so many Sunday mornings. I mean, if you wanted to find Cecil in Geneva, you go into the prayer chapel in our particular church because they were in there praying before the services. And so, you know, what I would do, like, well, I was a young preacher at the time, and so whenever I was preaching, I was always nervous. I would do whatever I could. I would make it a point to go to that prayer chapel, find Cecil in Geneva, and have them pray for me. I mean, they were two people. They, you want these two praying for you. I mean, there's power and faith in their prayers, and they love Jesus. Uh, they, they served him every day, and even when they moved out of their home and into this retirement village, together they served as chaplains uh, for all of the residents in the retirement community. And, well, they've been in a nursing home now for the last few years, but their ministry didn't end there. In fact, I heard a story this past week that just recently Cecil led a roommate of his to the Lord, you know, even at a very old age. I mean, they've always lived their lives by sharing the gospel and pointing people to Jesus and... Um, I can't even begin to tell you or describe how wonderful of a marriage they had, too. I mean, they were crazy about each other and great examples of what it means to be one in marriage. And, and anyone that knew them or knows them, you know, has been around them, you know, knew that they were rarely apart. I mean, they were always side by side, hand in hand, serving together, but also serving each other. Well, on, on October the 5th, just about a month ago, Geneva died. And uh, we got word that she had passed away, and we were so sad. I mean, happy, but sad. And I mean, I think you know what I mean by that, because, I mean, on the one hand, I mean, when you just think about her life and when you think about her marriage, I mean, our first thoughts were of Cecil. I mean, how, I mean, how in the world do you say goodbye to a wife of 73 years? And we were happy, too, because we knew that her life and her funeral would be nothing less than an incredible celebration. Well, due to some scheduling and due to uh, the fact that they knew that so many people would be traveling out of town for her funeral and what was going to be a really large funeral, they, they scheduled Geneva's funeral to take place about two weeks after she passed. And then wouldn't you know it, five days before her funeral and 10 days after she departed this earth, her husband of 73 years passed away too. And so on Sunday, October the 20th, hundreds of people packed their church in Michigan to say goodbye to not only Geneva, but her husband, Cecil, too. And I guess you could say that they couldn't stand to be apart, but more than that, I think Cecil was just a little jealous that she got to meet Jesus first, you know? <laughs> who, 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 who can't say that God doesn't write the best love stories, right? Um, you know, there's a difference between living a significant life and living an eternally significant life. You know, I've met, met plenty of people in my life, people who have done great things on this earth, but don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I've met people, people like Cecil and Geneva, people who have surrendered every part of their lives to serving the Lord, and the world is different because of them, and people who have come to know, you know, Christ, you know, because of the way they live. And, you know, when I think about people that, you know, I want for me, you know, as an example, when I, when I think about how I want to live my life or when I think about the kind of marriage that I want to have, I think of people like Cecil and Geneva. I mean, I want their faith, and I want their joy and salvation. I want their passion. I want a marriage like they had. You know, I want people to think of me the way people thought of them. And most importantly, I want to leave my children and others around me an example of what it means to live a life fully surrendered to the Lord, a life of eternal significance. And honestly, I mean, don't we all want that? I mean, think about it. I mean, even if you're here today... You, even if you would say that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I mean, isn't there a part of you that says that in the very end, I mean, you want it to have counted? I mean, you want to do something of significance. And if you're a Christian, well, you know the stakes are even greater. I mean, don't you want to live a life where you can confidently say, you know what, this counts. Like, this matters. 
Like to the best of my ability, you know, I made a difference for Jesus Christ in this world and not only a life that means so much to others, but a life that you would even be able to say, you know what, this was satisfying for me as well. Well, the Apostle Paul is a great example of someone who lived in an eternally significant life. And I love what he says near the end of his life uh, here in 2 Timothy. And if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along with us, and we'll have the verses on the screen too, it's in 2 Timothy that Paul, what he has done is he's written this letter to a student of his, a young man by the name of Timothy, and he's writing this letter to Timothy from a dungeon in Rome. And these are some of the last words uh, that were recorded by Paul. Let's pick them up in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 6. Paul writes to this, to this to Timothy. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept up the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Paul basically says, hey, I've lived an eternally significant life. I've got no regrets. And he says very specifically too, and the time for my departure is near. He says, I fought the fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. And notice who Paul says will be the judge over whether or not he's lived a significant life. He says, it's Jesus. He will reward me for the life that I've lived. See, there's a big difference between living a significant life and an eternally significant life. I mean, there's a big difference between what the world sees as a significant life and what our Savior, Jesus, sees as an eternally significant life. I mean, the world says, take care of yourself. Uh, the world says, uh, get rich. Uh, make as much money as you can. You know, acquire as many things as possible. Be happy along the way and do the things that you need to do in your life to ensure that happiness. But we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. We're going to stand before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus Christ, I want to hear him say, well done. Well done, Paul. I'm proud of you. And thank you for giving. Thank you for serving all of your life for me. You know, I don't know about you, but I hope this is true. But I've got a hunch that probably many of you are kind of like me when it comes to this. I mean, you want to have the confidence with your life and in your living, the confidence that the Apostle Paul had. I mean, you want to know that your life counts. Uh, you want to know that you're making a difference. You want to know that it matters. And, and, and you want, you know, for people to, to look to you and to remember you. And, and, well, what do you want them to remember about you? Maybe most importantly, I mean, you want to know, you want to see that you made a real difference for Jesus Christ in this world, that you were living your life for him. And, I mean, Paul had a reason to write these words to Timothy. His, his intent was to just to pass on, hey, here's what I've learned, and, and, and here's some great insight. And he gives this to this young man who had already spent so much time with Paul. And so Paul, even in the final days of his life, he's still coaching. He, he's still pouring into Timothy. He's still discipling him. I mean, Paul had lived this eternally significant life, and he wants that for Timothy too. And thankfully, thankfully, the encouragement that he passes on to Timothy has been copied down so that we can receive and enjoy it too, because it's for you and me that Paul writes as well. And so let's do this. Let's look back for just a few minutes, for a few moments, uh, at the beginning of this particular letter uh, in chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to identify a few lessons uh, that we see in Paul's life, his eternally significant life, and then let's ask what they might mean as we apply them in our lives too. If you're taking notes uh, and you want to follow along with us, lesson number one is this, that Paul was driven by the gospel. Uh, he writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 7. 
For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power. We talked about that last week and the importance of the Spirit and how the Spirit gives us power in our life and in our living uh, of love and self-discipline. Verse 8, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You see, Paul was driven by the gospel. It was the most important thing in his life. He wasn't ashamed of that gospel, and he wasn't ashamed of what Jesus has done for him. In fact, you see this gospel message woven into every single letter that Paul wrote. First, the good news of what Jesus has done for the world, but second, what Jesus had done specifically in Paul's life. I mean, Paul never once lost the wonder of what Jesus had done for him, and, and he wrote about that. He wrote about it on a number of occasions. Look at, let's look at just one of them in the previous letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He describes it like this. He says, hey, even though I was a blasphemer uh, and a persecutor and a violent man, he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. No, the grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Isn't that good? I mean, Paul says, hey, when it comes to all sinners, I was the worst. He says, the gospel message is what gets me up. The gospel message is what has changed me. The gospel message is what has forgiven me. Jerry Bridges once said, you know, that we would do well to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Like, that's what should drive you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen to, if you're a follower of Jesus... It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter how spectacular it is or how boring, you know, you might say that it is. Um, whether you grew up in church or out of church, uh, whether you grew up in a Christian family or a really jacked up, you know, sort of a family, it doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for one year or 50 years. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, your story is amazing. I mean, it's absolutely incredible and not because of what you've done or because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us and what he's done in your life. You know, Jesus came to this world. He was a gift from God, and he came to this world, and he paid a price that you and I could never pay on our own. I mean, he died so that you could be forgiven, so that I could be forgiven. And with his death and resurrection, it, it means that he has made it possible for you and me to be reconciled to God. I mean, because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, it's possible for us to be in relationship with our Father. And, and, and I believe that if, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the Bible says that you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, that you and I, that we are forgiven. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, this is the centerpiece of my life. This is what matters. 
And he says to Timothy, and he says to you and me, let it be the centerpiece of your life too. Let me ask you this. Is the gospel driving you? Is the gospel the centerpiece of your life? Is it your motivation? Is it what fuels you? Is it what sustains you in the good and the bad? I mean, is the gospel the centerpiece? Or have you lost the wonder of what Jesus Christ did for you? I mean, I think one way that we can measure uh, this is by asking the question, do the people around me know that I love Jesus? Uh, do they know that he's the first priority? I mean, do, they, do the people around you know how the gospel has changed your life? Uh, do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Uh, how about your neighbors? And, and it's one thing for the people around your life to know that you go to church, but it's another thing if they know and can see how Jesus is transformed and how he is transforming your life. Does the gospel drive you? I mean, would your friends and close family members say that one of the defining characteristics of your life is a passion and a love for Jesus? I mean, do your kids see it in your priorities and in how you make decisions or in how you spend your time or even your energy and money? Uh, Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And then he writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Hey, when was the last time you told the story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life to someone else? And see, I think the challenge is that we feel like that's got to be really complicated or that we have to make that story, you know, difficult to communicate to others. But it just means sharing what your life was like before Jesus and how he's changed you and how he's changing you today. I mean, it's like the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, he says, look for the opportunities. Uh, Peter says it too, you know, look for the opportunities to share that story, you know, with someone else so that when somebody says, hey, I noticed that you went through a really difficult season in your life, how is it that you came out on the other side of that and you're getting by? You tell them. Or when they ask why you seem to have a smile on your face all the time, why you've got so much joy, I mean, you've got an answer ready for them. Or when someone says, you know, why does it seem like... You know, you've got this marriage that is thriving and it's healthy and it's happy. I mean, you just tell them what's making all the difference. Uh, Pastor David Platt said it like this, you know, people, this means you and me, are God's method for winning the world to himself. And what kind of people? People who have been radically transformed by Jesus. Now, there's one family that I know, and I just love the way they live this out. They've got a family mission statement, and it goes something like this. We're going to heaven, and we're going to take as many people with us as we can along the way. It's a life, it's a family driven by the gospel. And Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. It's a life driven by the gospel. And this is what Paul has going on, and this is what he passes on to Timothy and to you and me. Paul says, let your lives too be driven by the gospel message. Let the power and the truth of what Jesus has done for you regularly overflow in all of your conversations. Is the gospel driving you? Is it the fuel? Uh, is it the sustaining force in your life? Can you tell the story? Will you tell the story of what Jesus has done for you? Paul says, hey, here's a lesson I've learned. Here's one ingredient to an eternally significant life. Live your life driven by the gospel. Let the power and the truth of this message get you out of bed each day and make sure that everyone knows about it along the way. And that leads to a second lesson we learned from Paul. Lesson number two is that Paul spiritually invested in other people. 
You know, I mean, we want to share the gospel and the love of Jesus uh, with people who don't have a relationship with God, but we are also, as followers of Jesus, called to spiritually invest in other people too. You know, so much of life when you think about it is all about relationships uh, and the importance of relationships. And Jesus modeled this for us uh, in the time, the intentional time that he spent with his disciples. The apostle Paul modeled it too. I mean, in fact, if you look at all of Paul's letters in the Bible, in most every single one of them, he takes this time to send greetings to all of the people specifically by name, people that he had invested in. I mean, Paul knew. Paul knew that there was something special about investing in people, and he reminded Timothy of this. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my son, talking about Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, he says, hey, let the gospel drive you. And then he goes on to say, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, Paul spent so much time investing in Timothy. I mean, they traveled all over this portion of the world together. And right here, Paul gives Timothy some specific instructions. He tells Timothy to invest in people who will then be equipped to turn around and invest in others. That's four generations of disciples when you think about it, because you have Paul investing in Timothy, and he tells Timothy to invest in people, but to invest in them in such a way that they will be able to turn around and invest in others too. And so he says, invest, spend time, don't live your life alone, make sure that you're pouring into other people. And what effect can that have? And what effect can that have in us? Well, we've all seen a family tree before, right? And I don't know if you've ever spent any time thinking about or uh, researching uh, your family tree, maybe with something like Ancestry.com or whatever it may be, but um, have you ever considered what your spiritual family tree might look like? I mean, for example, I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, who, who are those people in your life that invested in you? Uh, who are those people that poured into your life and really spoken to your life, maybe about even your own faith or people that came alongside you, maybe even the person that invited you to a church or something like, you know, Genesis Church. I mean, or who was that first person? Maybe a Sunday school teacher that told you about Jesus. You know, I think about the people that had the greatest impact on my life and my faith, and I first think of my parents, you know, what they've done for me. And then I think about uh, a middle school pastor that I had, a guy by the name of Jeff, and, and how he showed me a great example of what it means to live your life surrendered to Jesus. You know, I think about different pastors that have come along uh, that I've worked with, people that have seen things in me that I could never see in myself. Or, you know, I think about people even like the men that serve on our elder team and how they encourage me and how they pray for me. And well, I hope you have some people like that in your life too. But let me ask you this. Are there people in your life that you've helped lead into a relationship with the Lord or to grow in that relationship? I mean, who, who's that person that you're encouraging right now in their faith? Or uh, who is that friend in your life that doesn't yet know Christ? And how often do you pray for them? And do, I mean, do they know that the gospel is the driving force, that it's the priority for you and all that you do? And, and if some of you are feeling guilt, you know, because of this, hey, it's not a guilt trip, all right? Because um, trust me, I, I've got a ton of work to do in this area too, but can I tell you something? I mean, while I still have time, I want to do everything that I can to invest in the people that God puts in my life and around me. I mean, I want to have a big spiritual family tree when God takes me home one day. Now, at this point, you might ask yourself a couple of questions. Who and what? 
You know, because Jesus has commanded us to do it. I mean, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. He says, you know, make it a part of your life to spiritually invest in others. But who's that? And how do I do that? I mean, who do I invest in? And, well, how do you invest in someone? Let me just give you some ideas. First of all, on the who. Moms and dads, um, if you've got some little ones running around your house right now, uh, kids that are growing up into teens, um, like Paul, you've got some Timothys. I mean, you've got some Timothys right now, and the greatest gift that you'll ever give your children is not a roof over their head, a college 529, or the ability to hit a fastball, but it's the greatest gift that you could give them would be to show them what it means to have their own personal relationship with the Lord and to encourage them in that. I mean, it's, it, it means showing them what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. I mean, if you're serving in something like Gen Kids ministry right now, or you're serving in our student ministry, I mean, you've got some great opportunities in front of you right now to spiritually invest in others. Um, if you lead a connection group at Genesis Church, I mean, it's a great chance to share your faith and to encourage others in their relationship with God. Um, I've been trying to think all morning how to say this. Um, if you are one of our more mature, um, more seasoned members, um, maybe you could say if you qualify or are close to qualifying for a discounted meal uh, at a local restaurant or something... Hey, I want to tell you this. You're here for a special purpose. And I, I love the fact that God has you here in this church, in this growing church, in a young church. And I believe that God has you here for a very specific purpose. And he wants to use you. And he wants to use what you've learned in life and some of the lessons that you've discovered along the way and what you've seen in your own relationship with the Lord. And I believe that part of what he has in mind for Genesis Church is you helping to pour into some of these upcoming generations that we have right here in our community and even at Genesis. I mean, many of you have friends in your life, and because they're in your life right now, I mean, you've got a reason uh, to pour into them. And who is it? I mean, who's that neighbor in your life? Who's that person on your street? Uh, who's that person on your campus or in your apartment building? I mean, you've got people all around you. And what do you do with them? I mean, how do you spiritually invest in someone? Well, there are a lot of different ways that you can invest in people. But let me just give you a few of the most important. Uh, these aren't in your notes, but if you want to copy them down, number one, you can always be praying for people. I mean, there's such power in praying for people. The Apostle Paul started most of his letters talking about how he had been praying for people, and he called them out by name, and you can do the same too. I mean, I want to encourage you. I mean, just make a list of people in your life, people around you, and just start praying for them. And so if you're married, pray for your spouse. Uh, if you're a parent, you know, pray for your children. If you're a student, uh, pray for your siblings, pray for your roommates, pray for your friends. I mean, pray for your coworkers. I've got a guy, we've got a guy in our Wednesday morning connection group, and he was telling us the other day about how he's just been praying for people in his office by name specifically. He's just been praying for them, and how God is just kind of sort of coincidentally creating all of these conversations and opportunities to share with them and to grow with them, and things are happening. Pray for people. Pray scripture over people. You know, Richard Foster says it like this, if we truly love people, we will desire far uh, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them, and this will lead us to prayer. He says, intercession, or praying for people, is a way of loving others. In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, there is nothing more important than intercessory prayer, people praying for people. He says, people today desperately need the help that we can give them. Marriages are being shattered. Children are being destroyed. Individuals are living lives of quiet desperation without purpose or future. And we can make a difference if we will learn to pray on their behalf. Here's something else you can do. Spend time with people. 
You know, the Apostle Paul spent time with Timothy, and they traveled to places like Macedonia and Ephesus and Jerusalem together. I mean, they were together when Paul was first imprisoned in Rome, and, and Paul spent time with Timothy, and it was intentional. I want to challenge you to spend time with people and to do it intentionally. I mean, make an effort to spend time with the people that you're praying for. And so invite a coworker out to lunch or invite a coworker to something like coffee. You know, parents, spend intentional time teaching and training your kids. You know, reach out to someone uh, who's new in their faith. Uh, invite them to church. Invite them to your connection group. Invite them to, to read a book with you or to read a book of the Bible with you. And, and you don't have to be a scholar to do this. But just make this commitment that, hey, let's learn together. I don't have this figured out, but why don't we follow Jesus together and see what we can learn from him? Spend time intentionally with other people. The third thing is speak words of encouragement to people you're investing in. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, once said, how can you tell if people need encouragement? They're breathing, like, right? I mean, isn't it true? I mean, we all need encouragement. And, and the book of Proverbs says that, the wor- that, that our words have the power of life and death, and encouraging words can bring someone to life. Speak encouraging words to the people that you're investing in. Share scripture with them. Pray for them. You know, remind them of what God sees in them and how he sees us and how he's created us. Paul was spiritually investing in other people. He was an intentional in this. And so let me just ask you this question. Who are you spiritually investing in right now? I mean, can you name them by name, the people that you're praying for, the people that you're investing in? Who's your Timothy or who are your Timothys? And let me just add this to you. I really believe that a church with these types of intentional relationships is what God has in store for us. I really believe that's where he's leading us. And it's the way that Paul lived. And he says to Timothy that this kind of living makes all the difference. He says, if you want to live an eternally significant life, do something of eternal significance and invest in the lives of people spiritually that are around you. And the third lesson that we see in Paul, probably of many, but the third one that we're going to arrive at today is that Paul endured difficult times. You know, I mean, if you know Paul and if you know his story at all, we took a little bit about it last week. I mean, you know that he endured some incredibly difficult times. And, and we looked at a series of verses last week where Paul just described how he was beaten and stoned and whipped and deserted and, and shipwrecked and how he spent time in prison. And now he's sitting in a dungeon in Rome waiting to be executed. And over in chapter 3, verse 10, he writes, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life. Uh, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And then he goes on to add, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, you know, persevere through the difficult times. Uh, keep going. I mean, follow my example of endurance and depend on God for all things. In fact, he goes as far as to tell Timothy that anyone who follows Jesus will be persecuted. He says, just expect it, my friend. And I don't know if that helps you in any way right now, but I pray that one day it will. Um, Because if you've got trials in your life right now or you sense that you've got trials coming your way, um, I hope that you'll hear Paul's message and just keep enduring. You've got to keep enduring. If, if you find yourself uh, in a really awkward place right now at work and maybe in a situation where you're expected to compromise some of your values for the sake of business, I think Paul would say just keep enduring. 
in your friendships, um, with your family, or on your street. I mean, maybe you're ridiculed uh, for your new faith in Jesus Christ. And I think Paul would say, keep enduring. Um, in your marriage, I mean, maybe your marriage, you would say, you know what, well, we're really struggling right now. I think Paul would say, keep enduring. In school, in life, in college, maybe if you're pressured to bend on some of the boundaries that you've established for your life, maybe some of your convictions, Paul would say, keep enduring. I mean, Jesus told us, he promised us that in this world you will have trouble. And then Paul comes along and he says, you know what, following Jesus isn't easy. There are going to be challenges. But notice something. I mean, Paul emphasizes something so important, a key to our enduring And he writes to Timothy and he reminds him that one of the primary keys, what's most essential in remaining faithful and enduring, especially during difficult times, we'll see it right here. Look at verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, hey, don't forget what you've been taught or who taught you, but more importantly, don't forget the source from which all of this teaching comes from. And what is it? What's the source? Paul says, it's the Scriptures. It's your Bible. It's the Word of God. He goes on to say in verse 16, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice that word, useful. And if all Scripture is useful, then the, scripture, then, then the Christian life without Scripture must be useless, right? Because the Bible equips. The Bible equips people like you and me for every good work. And the importance of Scripture to Paul was so huge that he passes this reminder on to Timothy. Let me ask you this. Do you depend on the Word of God? Do you cling to the Word of God? Do you embrace the Word of God and what it means for your day and for your week and for your month and for your life? Because you're going to face difficult times if you aren't there right now. And Paul says, looking back over his life, that the greatest way that you can equip yourself in the good times and in the bad times is to read and to learn and to be trained in righteousness through God's Word as you cling to it and as you love it and embrace it for all things. You know, we're going to wrap up 31 weeks uh, in the story next week, uh, 31 weeks of reading through the Bible together. And I hope for many of you, you've been able to jump in or to read along the way, learn something uh, new with us. But I hope that as the story, and we've been looking at this book together, that as the story comes to an end for you, and maybe you would say uh, that you're finished with it, what I really hope is that you'll replace the story with one of these. And that you would be able to say that I've got such a new appreciation and desire for the Word of God and what it means for me and the story that God uh, has been writing on my life and in this world and everything that He is doing and has planned through Jesus Christ and His death. And um, I, I hope... Um, I hope that you've got a greater desire to read this and to know it and to study it together. And if you don't have one of these, uh, we've got Bibles back at the Info Hub. We'd love to give you one today uh, as a gift so that you can have it for yourself as a source because Paul says you're going to need it. We're going to need it. I mean, it is the key. It's the answer in the difficult times. 
It's where our joy comes from in all things, even in the good. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, hey, it's my source. And it's got to be the source for you in anything and everything. And so keep depending on the word of God. Paul says, let the gospel drive you. It should be at the very center of everything you ever do. Spiritually invest in others and endure the difficult times. But you're not going to do it on your own. Endure those difficult times through dependence on the word of God. Look one more time at just a few of Paul's last recorded words here. We looked at them at the top, 2 Timothy 4, 6. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Don't you want to be able to say that about your life? I mean, don't you want your kids or your parents or your friends to say that same of you, that he or she, they finished the race? They fought well. They kept up the faith. You know, I think I've uh, told you at least a couple of times that um, I've got a cross-country team that I helped to coach, and uh, I've got a picture of some of the boys that uh, are on my team uh, here. I helped coach the seven- and eight-year-old boys, and uh, we had a race uh, this past Sunday, and, man, it is so much fun. It's so much fun coaching these little boys, and man, they look up to you, and they laugh with you, and they do the craziest things, and you know, we have all of this fun together. Well, we had a race last Sunday, and uh, if you've ever gone out to a cross-country race before, or maybe if you haven't, it can be a lot of fun. And there are courses that are great spectator courses, and there are courses that aren't so great spectator of courses, and you got to do a lot of work, too, if you want to be there, if you want to, you know, encourage them along the way. And so we had this race last Sunday, and, you know, there was the start, and the kids took off, and they went out into this field, and they did a lap around the field, but then I knew, and I had never been on this course either before, that they were going to come into the back side of the woods, spend some time in the woods before finally coming out and moving down the chute uh, into the finish line. So when the race started, I took off and I cut through the woods and got to the back side of the woods so that I could see them come in. And as I was going through the woods, I noticed that, wow, this is a complicated course. Like there are all these trails in the course and they intersect one another. And I just got to thinking, if this course isn't very well marked, they're going to have a difficult time. I mean, they're seven and eight-year-old little boys. Well, sure enough, here come my kids in a pack and they enter into the woods in one portion. And then I cut over to the place where they will ultimately or were supposed to come out of the woods. Well, let me just say this. Again, some courses are very well marked and are very well staffed, and the kids have no problems finding their way through. This wasn't one of these. And all I can des- the best way that I can describe it is this, that at the very end of the race, as the kids were emerging from the woods, there were kids, 50, 60-some kids of the entire race coming from three different locations out of the woods. All right, if you could imagine this hysteria, all coming from different places to the evident shoot and down ultimately to the finish line. And there were a group, we had a couple of our kids that were in the first pack, but they hadn't been on the right path. But the people at the finish line didn't know that. And so as they crossed the finish line, they were even given medals, but medals that ultimately had to be taken away because, well, if you follow the rules, they were disqualified. And the kids were devastated, you know, the two. And again, not their fault. You know, no one wants to get to the end of their life and discover, I've been running the wrong race. And so Paul says, if you want to live an eternally significant life, live your life driven by the gospel, take time to invest in others, and spend all of the time that you have depending on the word of God. 
And most importantly, especially today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make sure that when it comes to your life, you're following him. Because as Jesus said, as he spoke of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Can I ask you that today? Do you have the confidence that you're on the right path? That you're following Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you how you work in our lives and you work in our lives through people. Uh, You work in our lives through a a wonderful church like this. So many people here from all different walks of life, so many lessons learned. And one of the beauties of a church is that we can encourage one another and love each other and support each other along the way. And I thank you uh, for the impact that people like Cecil and Geneva had on my life and so many others, God. And we thank you also, Lord, for somebody like the Apostle Paul. And for the beauty of your word and how, you know, even thousand years, thousands of years before we lived, that he lived and he shared these words and words that we can look to, words that come from you. And what I pray today, God, is that we can ask, okay, how do these words apply to my life? What do they mean for me? And how can I walk out of these doors in just a moment and be different because of them? And so as you pray, let me just ask you, is the gospel driving you right now? Are you sharing your story? Is there maybe somebody in your life that you need to share your story with? As we pray, are you spiritually investing in someone? Uh, You may not feel qualified, but God qualifies you. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I believe that, man, you're right there. There's somebody around you in your life, and you could be telling them your story of what Jesus has done for you. And uh, and maybe that's even more intentional. Maybe that means being in a very, you know... um, specific relationship with somebody right now, someone that you can encourage along the way in their faith and maybe study God's word together or just share life together. And would you allow the spirit of God to put a name on your heart right now and then maybe some steps that you can take from here. And for others, you know, maybe you're here today and and I pray that you would hear Paul's hope uh, even in the difficult and the challenging times when he says, keep enduring. And maybe you're here this morning, and man, maybe everything that you're doing is just, you're just trying to keep your head above water right now. And if you're recognizing that the power of the Word of God has been absent from your life, man, I pray that it's like a light bulb today. As God just says, come spend time with me and read and know my Word and apply it to your life. God, would you encourage us? God, would you show us what it means to live an eternally significant life? to make the most of everything, every opportunity, every person around us, never forgetting what Jesus Christ has done. As we pray to you, I know that there may be some of you here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe through the power of God working in and around your life right now, maybe you're recognizing it's, it's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you feel and sense that God's doing that work in your heart right now, I just pray that you'd reach out to him. Invite him in. Ask him to come in and to be your Lord and Savior. And do it now. Don't put it off any longer. But let's respond to the Lord today. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, as our life and as our example for all things. And God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, each of us would desire and take steps to live our life completely and absolutely surrendered to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.